You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures. To all of you listening from around the world, this is the F11 Photography Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Deal, along with your other host, who has a little bit of a cold, Mr. Brandon Gorey. How are we doing, guys? It's uh, it's good to be here at uh, at the wee hours of the morning. It's nice to record in the studio. I tell you what, we're drinking some coffee. We, we've got Kevin over here with his iced Americano. I myself have a drip with oat milk. And uh, I'm really excited to get this thing on the hump. Yes, uh, apologies up front if Brandon starts going... <coughs> it's on the way. Here, I'm going to mute my mic. And he's muting his mic, and there comes the cough. All right, this is episode number 46, or 46, if you're from Mexico. That's really good. Yes, yes. Always pronounce the vowels. That's the key. Um, So, yes, this is episode 46, and I am excited because if you listen to this pod... I put a lot of work in on the back end editing these podcasts. I got to go find the breaks and insert commercials and insert uh, drops from previous guests we had that said, hey, this is so-and-so and you're listening to the F11 P- Photography Podcast and all that. It takes me a lot of time each week, and sometimes it's why uh, I delay releasing an episode for a couple days because I'm, I'm fucking lazy. And, I, and I'm just like, eh, I don't really want to do editing. So I decided to reapproach the way I do things. And I have this Rode uh, podcast console thingy, which has a bunch of buttons and pads and all that on it. And I've decided to be smarter, work smarter, not harder, and run it more like live radio and that we have all of our commercials and everything now programmed to pads. And I may have to do a lot less editing on the back end now because I don't have to insert anything that's already recorded and baked into the pod. So I can sit here and just hit things like, that and that and that and all, all sorts of cool things, you know. I have all the pads in front of me now, and I'm rocking this thing like a motherfucking video game, which is great. So, uh, how you been, dude? Well, I'll tell you one thing, Kevin. I haven't really been dominating the back end like you have. I wish I was, but... Um, That's what she said? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, I'm still looking for back end to dominate, but other than that, no, it's been... Brandon's mom is listening to this pod like, oh, fuck. It's been really busy. It's uh, It's been very, very video heavy recently, of course. For those of you who don't know, that is my nine to five. That is what keeps the electricity on. And so uh, we've had a lot of upcoming projects releasing for the holidays, uh, which means it's been a very, very busy week this week. Well, between the two of us, Brandon is definitely the connoisseur of video, and we're going to do a video episode. Our next episode is actually going to be focused on video. But speaking of video, it's so it's the end of the year. I've been super busy uh, releasing 
YouTube episodes. I've actually, uh, I have five YouTube episodes coming out in November. I'm sorry. Yeah, November. It's November. I forgot what month it is. Uh, I've already had four YouTube episodes come out this month, and I have a fifth one coming out tonight at uh, 10 p.m. our time because TT Artisan, are you familiar with TT Artisan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so TT Artisan reached out to me, and they're like, hey, we're releasing a 35 1.2 for Fuji. It's coming out on November 20th. We want to give you an advanced copy so you can put it through its paces and put put a review together. But the only stipulation is is that you don't put the review out before the release date, which is November 20th at noon Beijing time, which is 10 p.m. our time on Sunday. So it's coming out Monday morning uh, right at noon. So I guess technically that's afternoon, Beijing time. Does that lens have autofocus? Yes, that's the, that's the key. And so wow. the reason why this launch is so big is because it's a 35 1.4 autofocus lens for $150. And you can't buy a Fuji autofocus lens. Like you, They make an XC, which is $200. And so that's within $50 of it. But then after that, it's like, you know, even Viltrox is two seventy nine, dollars And then you get up into like that $399. And even if you get, I'm talking about anything between $30 and $35. So Sigma makes a 30 1.4 that's about $300. I have that lens. I love that lens. It's amazing. Um, and then, you know, you go all the way up to like the Fuji 33 1.4, which is like $700. And now this one, I'm sorry, I may have said 1.4. I did say 1.4. It's actually a 1.8. I'm sorry. I should, I should, I should definitely clarify that because it's like a, a third of a stop or something. Say, you started with 1.2 and I was just like, wow, Artisans is stepping up. Yeah, I meant to say, I meant to say 1.8. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a 35 1.8. Uh, but even that being said, I mean, 1.8 that's still lets in quite a bit of light 150 dollars for autofocus and i tested it out and it's a really i mean for the money it's a good lens there's a couple weird quirky things about it like the minimum focusing distance on it is like twice that of everything else so like all the other lenses out there you can get like a foot away this one you get two feet away and the difference in bokeh between one feet and two feet if you're somebody who's like a street photographer and you want to get right up to something it's pretty huge so that's about the one uh, negative thing I can give that lens is that the bokeh on it is just like meh because of the minimum focusing distance. But then again, if you're buying a lens for street photography, you tend to shoot scenes that are somewhat far away anyway. So does bokeh really matter? Low light is probably the reason why you're going after this lens. So, but I'm excited because I am, you know, um, my YouTube channel starting to get to the point. Not only am I getting offered lenses because I did a Viltrox, uh, I did a Viltrox 75 1.2 review, and I did get that lens for free, but I got it after it came out. This is the first time I've gotten a lens pre-release, and so I'm, I'm, I've, I've climbed a tier. I'm excited. But the other thing about the, other thing about, uh, the reason why I'm releasing a ton of YouTube videos right now is because uh, at the end of the year, there's a dip. They call it, I guess they call it the December YouTube dip. All all the advertisers are they they've essentially blown their wad for the year and they've spent all of their money and there's this gigantic dip in advertising revenues that carries on over into January. So my thought process was let's just release as many videos as I can in November to try to get as much revenue as I can. And uh, frankly, I am going to be rather busy in December anyway. Uh, so I'm not going to have a lot of time to put together videos. So I've released. Um, I've released uh, an anticipation video about the new 24 to 105 2.8 from Canon. I just released the Photo Deox Warrior uh, review yesterday, and then I'm doing the TT Artisan here uh, tonight. 
at 10 p.m. So I'm very busy on YouTube. Uh, I'm excited about that. I'm also excited that uh, I, I, I was I talked about how I, I stopped watching the Texas Rangers uh, for a year. I took a year off and then only started watching them in the playoffs. And sure enough, they went on a run and won the whole fucking thing. They won the World Series. Fuck Houston. Bunch of cheating-ass motherfuckers. Uh, I avoided three decades, and uh, the Rangers finally won the World Series. So I'm super happy about that. Yep, I'll I'll let you know when I start watching baseball. But you know, I'm I'm really happy that your team, uh, you know, was the better team than the other teams, and finally uh, got recognition for that fact. Yay! The little Rangers finally did it. So, all right, uh, let's go to today's sponsor. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Harness the power of artificial intelligence with Luminar Neo. Artificial intelligence is the buzzword in the photography industry right now. It's becoming so widely used in our industry, it's hard to tell when it's hype and when it's actually an effective tool. Luminar Neo actually uses AI for good by giving you easy to use modules that are powerful and improve your photography. And now they're happy to announce the introduction of Generace, which is their generative AI fill. What is Generace? It's a smart personal assistant that will help you remove unwanted distractions from your image. Unlike a standard erase tool, it leverages the power of AI to fill the gaps with textures and other elements to match the surrounding area. You'll easily get realistic results because Generace is analyzing your photographs to make sure that the results look realistic, mimicking patterns and objects that it sees. In addition to other powerful modules like Relight, Powerline Removal, and AI Masking, Luminar Neo is on the cutting edge of artificial intelligence, but it's not just a plugin for Photoshop. You can actually use it as a standalone program with a catalog organizer and all that. It also has presets. Use the code KEVIN10 at checkout or check out the link in this podcast to get 10% off your copy of Luminar Neo today. All right, so we're doing, uh, we're trying out the uh, commercials pre-recorded now. What do you think? That was pretty silky. Not gonna lie, that was pretty good. Got some lo-fi going. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna keep doing the lo-fi. It's just easier to do that than trying to do the live spots. I stumble over myself. I I say the word fuck. It's pretty unprofessional. And so I, I I would imagine that the manufacturers of these products would appreciate it if I just had something a little more slick ahead of time. Yeah, the fun thing about lo-fi is it's one of those music genres that it can be overrated and underrated at the same time like we've all heard lo-fi we all like lo-fi and it's kind of like past its time but at the same time you're not going to complain if there's lo-fi playing in the morning at any time yeah i think that lo-fi is a very unintimidating uh unoffensive genre of music in the sense that like i could take somebody who like watches listens to bro country or something and if they're like watching one of my youtube videos and i have lo-fi in the background they're not gonna go oh this is distracting they're just gonna go okay cool there's music in the background and it's 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 not it's not distracting me or pissing me off and i'm paying attention to the video it's it's helps i guess it's a genre of music that uh keeps you focused i think it carries it's it's a good vessel it's like cauliflower it just it just carries the message across doesn't do anything else exactly so we are talking today uh, the topic that we decided, the topic that we settled on is buying gear responsibly. And there's a lot to unpack there. So uh, I want to start 
with overcoming the temptation to get the latest and greatest. Don't be that fickle idiot. And I want to point to an example that is relevant right now. Sony just announced the A9 III, which has a global shutter. And a global shutter is something that the photography industry and videography industry has been wanting for years. And Sony finally did it. And, you know, you go to the comments section, everyone's like, oh my God, I need a global shutter. I'm going to leave my Nikon and I'm going to leave my Canon system and go over to Sony. Like, don't be a fucking idiot. Like, first of all, are you shooting sports for the Olympics? No. Uh, are you shooting um, video that requires, you know, fast jerky motion left to right, like lateral motion? No. Okay. Uh, are you trying to capture a speeding bullet? No. Like, what the fuck do you need a global shutter for? Like, you just want to spend $6,000 so you can brag that you have the latest and greatest. And that, to me, is fucking stupid. Don't do that. Plus, like, just think about think about the, the loss you're going to take. So, like, if you go out and you buy a you know, four to $6,000 camera, and then you invest... When you buy a camera, you have to invest in the system. And so... You know, at the very least, you're spending a couple thousand dollars more on lenses, all the way up to twenty to thirty thousand dollars if you have a full setup of lenses, a full lineup of lenses. And then just because Sony comes out with something, which by the way, whether you're on Nikon or Panasonic or Canon, within the next two to three years, they're all going to have global shutters too. So why in the fuck would you sell that off and take a huge loss? Because let's just say you drop thirty grand on a system with all the lenses and everything like that. When you go to a camera store and trade it in you might get 15. You just took a 50% loss on your setup. Oh, and by the way, you need to go out and buy the Sony version of it now. Now, you know, you have 15,000 in hand, but if you're going to make the investment in the same glass, because the glass is all about the same price, you have to go another 15,000 out of pocket to equal that $30,000. So now you're sitting here. So now you're sitting here, uh, you know, just pissing away 15 G's every time you want to switch camera systems because they gave you one fucking feature that is so stupid just wait in a couple years uh, your canon your nikon or whatever will have a global shutter and then the only thing you have to swap out is the camera body you can keep all the glass and you can do all that and so i just i think people who are that way are fucking stupid there are some really cool things about the global shutter i think we'll talk about it in the next episode in relation to video uh but uh, there are also uh drawbacks to it because you know sony loves to be the first person out there to go, oh, look, we, we got this brand new feature. Well, they're also kind of the guinea pig because do you know what the base ISO of the A9 Mark III is? Ooh, can I guess? Yes. 1600. Oh, uh, you're thinking video. I'm talking about stills. Oh, sorry. Uh, 64. 250. Wow. It's the consequence of having a global shutter. Now, if you're listening and you don't know what a global shutter is, uh, when you take a picture, uh, it kind of moves like a push broom. So it reads it reads from top to bottom. It's it's not just taking a flash like a film emulsion does. Like you know when you shoot film, it bakes the light that hits it simultaneously. It hits it at the speed of light. It bakes in for the amount of time that you have your shutter open, and then the shutter closes, and that's your exposure. With digital, it reads top to bottom, and that's why you have what the, this phenomenon in um, mirrorless cameras, especially when you use electronic shutter called rolling shutter, and the A9 III uh, overcomes that because it doesn't have that because it's a global shutter. It works just like a film emulsion would work. It just it takes a flash of everything all at once, 
and closes. And so that's why everybody's getting excited about it. But to the to the subject at hand, do you need that? Because like for instance, that base ISO of 250, man, that you know, to me, I'm I, I shoot like fine art, fashion editorial type stuff. I want as little noise as possible. I mean, not that noise bothers me, but I tend to want to shoot at the smallest ISO possible. And starting at 250, I mean, you know, think about it. If you have a base ISO of 250 and you're shooting with like a, um, you know, an 85 1.2 lens and you want to go out and take pictures uh, in broad daylight, you're going to have to use, have to use an ND filter. Like you have to slow down the light. And so there's, there's, uh, there's consequences to that. Just to, just to brag that you have a global shutter. Now you're putting a filter in front of your lens. Uh, and, and, you know, like it'd be one thing if you had a 200 base ISO, but 250, I mean, that's, that's getting up there for stills for, for video. I, I actually don't, I, I don't know what the base ISO on, on the, uh, the Sony a nine is. I'm going to let you talk for a second while I look it up. Well, yeah. <sighs> So I, I was going to respond to something you're going to say, but go ahead. I, I guess. Well, yeah. The the thing that like came across my mind for uh, for having a base ISO of 250 is like I shoot a lot of dark stuff. So if, if I'm bringing if I'm bringing a file, no matter how big it is, no matter how much dynamic range is in that file into Capture One, if I'm trying to bump up the shadows and and make like an an even tone thing and even you know uh, middle ground histogram that's going to be problematic. You know, that's going to, that's a risky print. You know what I mean? That's a risky editorial to size. Yeah. You, so you, you guessed 1600 base ISO for uh, video for video. It's 2000. F- wow. I was close. Is yeah. that, is that in S log or is that just S log three? Yeah. Wow. But anyway, uh, point I, being I point, they can handle it though. Yeah. I was probably, I mean, I shoot, I shoot C log three a lot. I'll shoot uh, 16 and 3200 <laughs> ISO and C log three, uh, depending on the, the situation. It's not too noisy, but, um, but yes, overcome the temptation to buy the latest and the greatest. Don't be fickle. Uh, the, you know, I've met a lot of very professional photographers in my day. I actually know professional photographers who still shoot on five D Mark threes which is 2011, 2012 technology. And they are celebrity photographers. They are making bank and they don't need the latest and the greatest. Uh, my friend Valerie shoots on a 5D Mark IV and you know she is a high-end, uh, she does a lot of high-end beauty stuff up in Toronto. And she hasn't even made the switch to mirrorless yet because at the end of the day, 90 something, probably 99% of photographers out there don't need stuff like a global shutter. So uh, that is definitely one way to be responsible, which is, you know, I, I always say camera manufacturers love the fickle photographer because they're the ones like professionals don't go out and usually buy the latest and the greatest. Professionals are so busy being professional that they're taking advantage of the previous generation of technology, they're still figuring out all the things they can achieve with that. And they're so distracted by that and making art because they're right brain creatives that they're not, you know, they're not out there in Facebook groups bragging about, look what I have. I have the latest. And they're like, look what I made, not look what I have. And if you have that mentality of look what I made, not look what I have. Now I am a gear, I'm a gear person. I love gear. But I've started to slow down in my gear buying. I've, I've said no to things. 
that have recently come out because I, I can't justify them. Like, would I love to have the new Fuji GFX 102? Yeah, the improved autofocus, like that alone is so appealing to me. But for $7,500, when I just about a year and a half ago paid $6,000 for the predecessor, which by the way, they've actually proven it's the exact same sensor. They moved the base ISO down, but when they did like dynamic range tests, it's the same sensor. So I'm only paying for the autofocus. And then there's all these, uh, there's all this other tech inside the 102, uh, which I, I did a whole episode on, but like, it's very video centric. Now they're trying to move everybody into those, this beautiful medium format sensor for video, uh, which is kind of weird because when you shoot on video, it only uses a small part of the sensor because 4k video doesn't need that much space. But anyway, there's a bunch of stuff I'd be paying for that I'd never use. And so that's really the real reason why I'm just kind of like, yeah, I don't know, man. And there's nothing wrong with the camera that I have. I don't feel like I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish with my 100 uh, S. And so I don't think it's time. And we'll talk about like when it's time to upgrade and all that that's coming up. Uh, but you know, what are you, what are your thoughts on having the latest and the greatest I already think I know the answer, but I'm going to let you speak on it because I talk too much on this pod. I think having the latest and the greatest is an absolute luxury. Uh, do I think you need it? Absolutely not. Um, in fact, one thing I've been moving closer towards um, that I think you do a great job of is making the picture you want to see in your head in front of you with light taking tons of time to, to move your light around, like, like taking enough time to actually bother your models to, you know, uh, you know, have them bored on, on set because you're just adjusting light, you know? And so I think really, um, light is your biggest asset in the studio and outside. And when you have plenty of it to, at your disposal, it doesn't matter like your system, like your body almost goes out the window bar autofocus, your body pretty much goes out the window. Same with your lenses. Cause you can shoot at it at a much sharper area. Like you could get a two, $250 Yong Nuo 50 millimeter 1.8, which is practically plastic and you know, move it to F 5.6, uh, outside and shoot at like a hundred, uh, one, one hundredth of a second and have the model just be more still and be more careful. And you can still take, like fantastic photos at around 400 ISO. Like the gear is not the issue. It's, it's learning photography. The gear will never solve your creative block, which I've, I've been through that before where you think like you've got creators block. You're like, Oh, if I just buy this new lens, it'll give me new opportunities to see the world and, and that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think that anytime that you think you can justify buying new gear, it's either because I think it's, you're either limited by what you currently have, or you can justify it by simply earning that money through photography and it's supplemental. Well, I own several cameras. We, we joke about my, uh, you know, the fact that I, I love gear and so on and so forth, but I own medium format, full frame and APS-C. Not only do I own APS-C, but I own old APS-C technology. So I have a a Fuji X-T20 uh, that is from 2017. And to your point about getting everything right at the front end, I want to make a very uh, experience-based observation that I, I have taken in over the years, which is that the difference between a medium format camera, a full-frame camera, 
an APS-C camera and your iPhone are very little if a situation is lit up correctly. You can take professional photos with an iPhone that has a tiny ass sensor and they will look amazing if it is well lit, if you lit everything up well to begin with. I mean, I'm sure you've seen some pictures uh, on your Instagram feed. You're like, wow, that's beautiful. And then you realize, oh shit, that was taken with an iPhone. And it's because they're well lit situations. Um, that is the key, you know, photograph, capture light. That's what that, that's what that means. And uh, where smaller sensors fall apart is in poorly lit situations. But the key word there is poorly. Why is the situation poorly lit? Is it poorly lit because you cho you chose the wrong place to shoot? Is it poorly lit because you don't understand lighting and you didn't know how to set up the light correctly in your studio? If that's the case, it has nothing to do with your equipment and everything to do with you because if that situation were properly lit and you took that shot with an APS-C versus a medium format, especially in a controlled environment like a studio where depth of field matters less, it's going to be really hard to tell the difference between them when you're looking at on something like Instagram or something like that. Now, if you blow it up to a 30 by 40 print, that might be uh, so that might be a little different. But I'll just use an example to show Brandon. You guys can't see it, uh, but when we finally move on to uh, doing video uh, stuff on this pod, which I think we're going to do in the new year, it'll be uh, it'll make more sense. But there's a picture on the wall of a bridge that I have blown up in our studio. It's one of my favorite pictures I've ever taken. I shot it. Uh, I, I bought a Mamiya RB67, and to test with the RB67, uh, uh, you know, when I was learning the camera's habits, I would take a small digital camera with me, and I would take test shots to kind of get my exposure right. Uh, yes, I could use the f16 rule and all that, but I just wanted to test that out and see how accurate it was next to my camera. Anyway. I was just taking a test shot, getting my light right, and I got this perfect synchronization of these uh, kayakers and a jogger and perfect synchronization, perfect symmetry. And I made a print out of it with a 20, 20 I don't know, it's a 20 megapixel, 24 megapixel, uh, 2017 little handheld camera. And with a with the kit lens, they're 18 to 55, so it's a zoom lens, so it's not as sharp as everything else. And it's one of my best shots I've ever taken. Um, it's was one of my favorite shots I've ever taken. Um, point being is that the you know if I had taken that shot with uh, the latest and greatest camera, or I took it with my tiny little 2017 pocket Fuji camera, most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference what kind of gear I used. So, uh, what did you want to say something? Oh, I'm just leaning forward in agreement with you, Kevin. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, when we come back. We're going to talk about uh, when to buy used gear over new gear. Hey, this is Doss Miller, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, we're back. So there are times when I think it makes sense for you to go out and purchase something new. And that time for me is usually when I buy a camera body. Uh, camera bodies have a lot of components to them, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that can go wrong with them. And yes, you do have uh, things like shutter counts and all that. And, you know, when people use electronic shutter, shutter count is starting to become less and less of a thing. But camera bodies just have a lot of things inside of them that I think can go wrong. And I found that especially since the pandemic, because of supply chain shortages and all that, that cameras have... Uh, generally had good resale value despite that. And since the resale value is so close to the new price, 
I'm just very much when it comes to camera bodies uh, that are still being produced. I tend to lean buying new, and I know Brandon just bought the Z8, so I'm assuming in general he agrees with me. Unless of course you're super broke, that's a different conversation. But go ahead. I just I don't know, man. Like I feel like buying used. Like I always think of that risk. I'll definitely I've bought used lenses before, and you know it, it's funny, you know, coming from us saying this because we buy used film equipment all the time from people we've never met. But that's because it's not being produced anymore, and it's just. I'll take the risk because I want to shoot film, but with digital, it's a little different game. It is a different game because, okay, like the Z8, it's it's a $4,000 body. Let's say some guy is selling it for $3,200 and it's used. Like, like I'm still paying $3,200 for a camera that I don't know what it's been through. He could have got it out of the box and just, you know, his toddler could have knocked it off the table the second day. Like, I just don't know. So I definitely, for more expensive things, I don't think it's worth the risk. Um, cause I like, frankly, like I'd have to wait, uh, an amount of time to buy it again. If that was the case, I'd, I think I'd be stupid to buy it again. You know, um, I'd, I'd probably get it repaired, but yeah, buying new always seems to be the way to go with high ticket items that are cutting edge technology and stuff like that, because it's in, inside of it. It's all, it's all, you know, connectors and stuff like that. So even though I did drop it in New York. Even though I did drop it in New York. Yeah, and now uh, if you sell it down the road, some person's going to be like, have you ever dropped this? Absolutely. No, <laughs> me? No. Never, never. Uh, I, I, outside, for so for my digital cameras, the only camera that I bought used was my Fuji X-T20. It's funny, that camera, I've done so much shit to that camera, and I know it's going to die one day. It's I bought that camera used for like four or $500. Then I sent it off to get it converted to full-spectrum infrared. I mean, I've done a lot of work to that camera. And pretty much when that camera dies, it's going to be dead. Like, no one's going to want to buy a dead, full, converted camera. Like, I've sunk some money into that camera. But uh, but that's the only camera I've purchased used uh, in the last half decade. Everything else I've purchased, I've purchased new because, like Brandon said, you don't know what's going on with these cameras. But when it comes to lenses, I'm much more uh, likely to take the risk because – you know, more often than not, uh, I will buy a lens locally because I live in a major metropolitan area and people often put lenses for sale and, um, I will, you know, meet, I meet them and I, I bring my camera with me and I test it out. As a matter of fact, I, I bought a, I bought a Fuji GFX lens the other day, uh, from a guy on Facebook marketplace. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Facebook marketplace, uh, a little later when we talk about strategies for acquiring new gear. Uh, but, but what are your thoughts on used lenses? Are you a little more risky in that sense? You're a little more, I want to say brave. I personally like I can, any lens that's come out in the last 10 years, isn't going to have fungus. It is, you know, if you see dust on the, in, you know, the front element, it's all going to reveal itself pretty quickly. So really I just put my camera in like single point autofocus and I just make sure that the motor has no issues, take a couple pictures with it, zoom in, make sure that there's no weird, like shake going on like maybe there's something wrong with the image stabilization if it's an image stable stabilized lens i don't really like see a lot of risk plus just modern lenses are built pretty well these days that see yeah i'm siding with you there for sure um every lens i've got even the viltrox that's just come my way like the lenses these days seem to be just tanks they just seem to be metal 
like or it, and if not metal like really hard plastic tanks they're all weather sealed up the wazoo because that's kind of the standard that we're at right now even for third-party lenses everything has to be weather sealed if you're going to sell a lens that's going to be going on on much much better equipment and and decent equipment like mirrorless lines coming out from canon uh from canon nikon and sony obviously they're all weather sealed so the lenses would have to be as well or at least that's the line of thinking that i'm seeing on amazon and bnh for all these third-party lenses that they're selling so yeah when it comes to lenses in the last 10 years i honestly i never even think about it i i really like on the image i'm just looking for obvious misuse or obvious just like fungus or something like that and then if i'm buying in person yeah just running it through a couple tests i mean i dropped my I dropped my Z8, which isn't by any means a light camera, and it fell on my lens, and it was a 24 to 70 plastic body, and it just got up and worked fine. Haven't had like, you know what I mean? Like things, lenses just work these days really well. Yeah, I think I've told this story before on this pod, which is I had my R5 in my bag with my 85 1.2 attached to it. And I had a backpack that had an upper and a lower compartment. And somehow my lower compartment was open and my camera slid into my lower compartment in my driveway and just thump hit the driveway with the 85 attached. My focal plane is five on the 85, a tiny little crack on it. And I have a tiny little scratch in the corner of my R5, but both the camera and the lens are perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with them. So, you know, it's a testament to the durability of Canon L lenses. I'm sure Nikon and everyone else have very similar uh, durability in their lenses. So, you know, it, I don't really worry too much about buying lenses used. Uh, and now is a really good time to buy used, uh, in my opinion, because during the pandemic, we had chip shortages. We had a lot of uh, supply chain shortages. And so it got ridiculous. So, like, for instance, a Canon RF 28 to 70 F2 new is like, Thirty ninety nine. Well, nobody had them in stock. And so people were selling that lens, kind of like people are now doing with the Fuji X100V. They were selling it for more than you can get it for new. That has started to chill a little bit. Uh, I still see the X100V is selling for way too much, but I'm now starting to see RF 28 to 70s going for 2500 Well, that's a, that's a $700 difference, $600 difference from what it was about a year, a year and a half ago. So used prices are starting to fall. That's also true on, I found on film cameras. So like Mamiya RB67. I was, I was yeah. just gonna, I was looking at the RZ67 Pro 2 yesterday. I was looking at those prices on eBay and I was like, okay. Yeah, we're, 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 we are finally starting. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's some reasons behind it. One, I think that, uh, you know, it just, peep, there's a little less demand for it, but yeah, RB67s. So like the RB67 with like a 127 lens, you normally see it for around five, $600 with the lens. I'm starting to see them for $400 now. That's a pretty big uh, decrease in price. And, you know, of course that means I'm going to start looking at that Mamiya 7 because that's the one that is just a little out of my, I mean, it's a lot out of my range right now for what I want to spend, but it is that ultimate a six by seven smaller camera that I'm looking for. So I'm, I'm, I'm checking out those prices. They're, they're starting to go down a little bit and I'm, I'm a little excited about that. I'm not going to lie. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I put butterflies in my stomach because I was on eBay and I, I, I think you and I, we kind of do the same thing was we kind of just like check the rounds. We see what films doing every now and again. And so I was on eBay and I was, I was just browsing around for, for Mamiya's because I'm like, okay, I want a six, seven system. I want to take studio portraiture that just, has the quality of fidelity and the size, the resolution of, of a digital near enough with that, you know, with that reproductive color quality of film. 
And so I'm looking at Mamiya's and kind of, you know, kind of like I, if I'm going to buy something, I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to just take it all the way to the latest edition. So uh, would I be happy with an RB67? Absolutely. I've got a Mamiya 645 1000S, not the Mamiya uh, 645 Pro or Pro 2. However, I do want a lot more studio capability and, and compatibility uh, with the RZ67 Pro 2, especially with, uh, to be able to rotate and put the digital back on there. I think they all rotate. That's why it's called an RB. Yep. That is literally why it's called an RB, yes. Rotating back. Yeah. Can you tell I'm sick? And so, yeah, no, I was looking there. And the prices for uh, for, for an RZ67 Pro 2, which is like, I think that's the best you can get, like the, the latest iteration into the 90s, um, they're usually 2500 2500 to 3200 you know, one or two lenses. Uh, you know, whether it's a 110. I think it's a 110 that comes on the 6.7, right? The 110 F2, yes. That's the one everybody... I think maybe it's a 2.8. I can't remember. Okay. So Either way, it's super shallow for medium format. Yeah, and those packages with the electronic viewfinder and everything, uh, they're at like 1500 right now, which is nothing. Yeah, it's a 2.8. I, I, I looked it up. Is that a... That's a 50 millimeter equivalent, right? Uh, 110, uh, so I believe you would take that and roughly divide it by 2. So... 110 divided by 2 is, yeah, it's about 55, 60 millimeters, somewhere in there, is, is the field of view at, you know, f2.8. So, yeah. of course, it's medium format. f2.8 is really like f2, f2.2, somewhere in there. It's pretty pretty shallow. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I don't think contacts prices are going down whatsoever. They still have that celebrity inflation, and it's just not stopping. They're like uh, X100Vs. People overpay for that shit. Yeah. Well, coming up. We are going to talk about the best strategies for acquiring new gear. Cheetah Stan has started their Black Friday sale early, so if you don't want to go out shopping and scouring the internet for deals on Black Friday, you can just eat leftovers, get into your food coma, and chill with the family. Right now, they're doing 20% off all stands and modifiers with the code BF20. You also have tiered discounts if you spend $500, $1,000, $2,500, $5,000 or $5,000. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for all available Black Friday discounts. Hey, this is Vanessa Joy, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, we're going to talk about best strategies for acquiring new gear. And number one on my list is buy with your head, not with your heart. That goes back to the very first thing we talked about where it's like, hey, overcome the temptation of getting the latest and the greatest. Really sit back and be analytical about it because if you're not, you're probably going to make foolish financial decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Take a look at your work. Take a look at your wanting what you're wanting to accomplish. And there's so many factors that go into this, you know, like is most of your work professional? Is most of it hobbyist? Is most of it personal work? And, you know, that will change season to season. So you really have to look at like, what are you trying to get out of photography? Is this like a stress relieving thing where you really think that, you know, adding a new 1.2 lens is just going to get you out of the house and, and get you clear minded is a great way to pass the time. It's a great way that you like to spend your time as a hobbyist, you know, or is it like, okay, your clients are booking you because they want a specific profile. They like the bokeh, they like the subject separation, and they love that sort of compressed look. And that's a statement in your photography. Okay. Maybe an 85 1.2 is, is up your alley. Maybe that's like, that's something you want to do. But I think, 
um, I think a really good strategy is discipline. And I know how like abstract that is. Cause like at the end of the day, you know, you can, you can justify just about anything if you really want to. Well, over time, you, you, I love, I love where you're going with that with the discipline, because over time I've kind of developed a strategy for, uh, acquiring new gear, using my head rather than my heart, which is I play the long game and I've been doing film taught me this during the, the, you know, the pandemic and the film price increases and all that. I played a long game. I would monitor prices daily. Like every morning I get up, I do my morning routine and I'd spend five minutes just looking at film prices to see what they were doing. But I've done something recently. So like, you know, we've, we talked about business, uh, and photography. When you get money, you're supposed to take money and, you know, pay all your bills and put money aside for retirement and this and that. And then when you have money left over, then you can decide what you want to do with that money that's left over. Well, I now, cause I use QuickBooks and I can create envelopes for my money. I have a basically called a down on your luck, Facebook marketplace fund that I just drop extra money into. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then daily I go on Facebook marketplace and I know what things are worth because I, I'm like, Hey, what do I want right now? Like not need, but want. And you know, there's a threshold in which something that I want now becomes so desirable because the deal is so good that I'm an idiot to say no, because even if I don't like it, I can sell it for a profit, you know? And so one of the things that I, I did is I created the down on your luck, Facebook marketplace fund where you have like a, uh, it's a funny story. The, so in the pro audio world, the Telefunken U47 is what like Frank Sinatra recorded on. You see Frank Sinatra with a cigarette and then they have that, that pop filter with that says Capitol records on it. That's a Telefunken U47. The Beatles recorded through it. It's a very well-known microphone for really good reasons. And you know, that microphone's like 10 G's, right? And there's a story of this, this woman, her husband was cheating on her and she, this is back in the Craigslist days before Facebook marketplace. She just said, my husband won't shut the fuck up about this microphone. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, he cheated on me, blah, blah, blah. The first person to come to my door can just fucking have it. <laughs> so things like that, that happened And some, there were like five dudes who showed up at the door to get the mic, you know, and she just gave it away. I'm sure that that had some ramifications in court, but nonetheless, uh, you can find crazy shit like that that happens uh, in Facebook marketplace, some examples, uh, you know, what got me into pro photo. I had, I got a light for $400. Uh, I told you that I just got a Fuji GF 53.5 lens. That lens goes new for a thousand dollars when it's on rebate. It's usually six or $700. There was a guy, uh, on Facebook marketplace who was letting it go for $400 and it was fucking flawless. And I didn't, it's, it's one of those lenses like, I don't know if I really want it because I have a 45 and I have a 63. So 50 is just like, it's pretty damn close. But for $400, like if I don't like the lens, I could probably resell it for five or maybe even six. So I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to get it. And so I have that fund for that. And I don't have any guilt because that's what that fund is for. It's my, you know, great deal pops up. I'm going to go get it. Uh, I had a guy, uh, one of my, the reason why I have two Mamiya C330s is because there's a guy who was unloading a C330F, which is, you know, by itself a three, $400, uh, about a $300 body. He had three lenses, which are all a hundred dollars a piece, you know, if you bought them on eBay, so that's $700, right? He also had a prism finder, which is $200. So now we're up to $900. And then he had a, uh, Pelican case 
and a handle, which so everything would be about a thousand dollars if you were bu- to buy it all individually on eBay. He was unloading the whole thing for five hundred bucks. I was like, okay, I'm gonna have another C three thirty, like because I can unload that thing down the road, or I can unload my older one because I like the newer one, the F better. And so that is a strategy that you can use: is the down on your luck Facebook Marketplace fund. Play the long game, be patient, and sometimes some beautiful things will fall into your lap. But if you don't have the money available to do it, then you know that's 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 now you're thinking with your heart, and you're gonna do something stupid like put it on a credit card or something. Like no, don't do that. don't do that. Yeah, because like what people don't calculate when they're thinking with their heart is they're like, okay, how much money do I have left over? And then suddenly there's like three automatic payments at the end of the month that put them into a negative withdrawal territory, and it's just like that's not a fun way to live. <laughs> I used credit cards to buy gear when I when I first started. I was still in college making like 25 a year as a valet and you know it like my D750 like if or my D5600 that wasn't working as well as I wanted it to and I was just like okay we're going to uh we're going to put the D750 on credit. Yeah, and and I do think that there are times uh when you can put things on credit and I'll I'll get into those here in, in a little bit. Uh but you know, I actually own an Adorama and a B&H credit card. And the reason I own them is because I save up cash for something. And then when you, you know, they have financing. It's like you can finance something for 12, 18, or 24 months. I also have a Best Buy card, by the way. I have all three of those credit cards. And the reason I do that is because what I'll do is I'll be like, oh, there's this new $2,000 lens that I want. I will save up $2,000. And then I will put that lens on that respective store's card because they'll give you five or 10% back in like reward points, you know, in cash. And if you pay everything in that month, then you get the five to 10% back. Or if you, you know, finance it, you can finance it for 12 to 24 months, but you don't get the cash back. And so uh, since, since my vice is buying photography gear, I just get like free money back. That's the way I look at it. And so I will save up for something. I will charge it to my card and not elect to take the long-term financing and then i will uh, immediately pay it off and then you know if it's a two thousand dollar thing and i get five percent back you know i'll end up getting whatever a hundred dollars of credit or something and it's like oh that that way we're like oh i need a sock for a beauty dish or some small accessory it's like oh yeah i need some i need a a, a corrective gel for ctb or cto okay cool i have a hundred dollar credit boom i didn't mean, pay out of pocket for it i just have credit on account with with Adorama or B&H or whatever. So uh, I think that's a responsible way you could pay with credits. Uh, we'll get into uh, some other uh, credit-related stuff later in the episode, but it looks like you wanted to say something, so I'm going to go ahead and let you talk. I will never let this topic die. I, I love churning credit cards. That's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I'll give you an example. My Chase Sapphire uh, reward like sign-on bonus is what paid for my flight and my stay in New York for a week. Um, that card is now is paid off and done. I'm not putting anything on it. I just recently got a capital one venture card, same deal. If you spend four grand within the first three months, you get about a thousand bucks back and that's very easy to do. You just put your rent on the card for three months plus groceries, just pay it off the day you, the day it comes out of the card. And, uh, yeah, then I've got, then I'm freewheeling. I think it's a thousand bucks travel points, 800 bucks cash and, uh, just do whatever, do whatever the hell I want with it. Yeah, but be smart because interest rates are fucking insane right now. Dude, so. interest rates on cards are literally like fucking criminal. My Discover card is 30% interest rate. Do not fuck around with interest. Yeah, do not fuck around with interest. Have the fucking money. Now, 
Another thing you can do to save money when you purchase things, uh, new things, I should say, is look for the rebates. Fuji is notorious for this. Fuji will take like a battery grip and take 50% off. They'll take a a $400 battery grip and they'll do it for uh, $200. Fuji makes a GF35 to 70, which is a kit lens. They call it a kit lens for the GFX. Brand new, it's $999. Two or three times a year, they put that lens on sale for $499. Do not be fucking stupid and pay $1,000 for that. So remember when I said play the long game? Spend a little bit of time watching what happens to the prices. Like, wow, Fuji constantly puts this lens at 50% off. You know, so, and, and you got to learn them. So, like, the one that I bought for $400, the GF 50 millimeter 3.5, that one has a map of 1,000. The 35 to 70 has a map of 1,000, but the 35 to 70 is usually 50% off. And then the GF uh, 50 3.5, they only usually take two to $300 off. So you got to look at what they normally take off these things and wait for those rebates to happen because they happen two to three times per year. Another thing to keep in mind is like, uh, you know, if you're buying lights, I've talked about this in the past, Adorama, they absolutely like drop their pants on black friday like if you're gonna buy anything uh flashpoint which is the same thing as godox like i've gotten 600 watt strobe lights that normally sell for 600 you know five six hundred dollars for 350 you know 600 watt second strobe for 350 as long as you don't need ttl which i don't need ttl that's a lot of power and that light you can beat the hell out of it so be smart um you know check out the black friday savings uh that adorama has they don't sponsor this i've just Every year I'll end up buying one of those just to have another one. It's yeah, it's actually, that's a really good point. Uh, someone made this point on threads actually, which threads for me is basically a photography perform at this point. Um, basically on Amazon's Christmas in July sales event and black Friday, that's, those are two key days when you should be stocking up on SD cards, extra batteries and, and just any extra gear like in accessories that are going to help your life out, camera straps, all that stuff. That's when you should be re-upping because the prices are pretty much cut in half on those days. Yeah, think about things that cross over into the consumer world because everybody needs hard drives. Everybody, you know, I mean, a lot of people need SD cards beyond just photographers. They're not a uh, niche. You know, a camera, a, a Nikon Z8 is a niche thing. That's for a photographer, but everybody needs hard drive space. And so because more people are buying hard drives on Black Friday, they're a more appealing thing to put on sale because they'll move more units. And so be smart about when you shop for things and that will help you, uh, you know, with your, with your strategy or as George W. Bush says, strategery. But let's shift gears to when is a good time to acquire gear? Hey, this is Malika Gradic, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, so when is a good time to acquire new gear? Uh, because you may be looking at a lens and go, wow, that lens is $3,000. I don't have $3,000. And this is that conversation I had of when is it a good time to put something on a credit card, okay? So I have a theory on that, which is, Let's say you are a headshot photographer and your goal is that you want to be a headshot photographer. And let's just, I'm going to use Canon as the example because that's my primary system. And you see the RF 85 millimeter 1.2 and it's going for $2,800, which by the way, I think it's actually on rebate for $2,300, $2,400, which once again, going back to what we were just talking about, look at when things go on rebate because I've actually never seen the RF 85 1.2 on rebate until now. I think also a lot of a lot of Canon lenses are finally going on rebate, which goes back to it's a good time to buy. But to my point, 
you're sitting there and you're like, I want to start a photography business and I want it to be headshots. Maybe you have um, some lights that you can use and the lights are, 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 you know, good to go, but you're lacking a really bad ass headshot lens. And so uh, you're thinking like, man, this thing's like $2,700. Should I put it on credit? And when I would say, yes, go ahead and put it on credit. First and foremost, if you have some money put aside for it, put that money toward it. Like, you know, when your first payments do or whatever, you're going to finance it, you know, pay it, pay it down. So you pay it off quicker. Uh, But if you can like objectively justify that I am going to book, you know, four headshot sessions this month, um, in addition to my normal income, right? So it's like plus business. I think I can get four new headshot sessions. And let's say your rate is $500, okay? That's $2,000 you'll make off of those four headshot sessions for a $3,000 lens. Sounds like after two or three months, that thing could pay for itself pretty quickly. And if it's a if it's an investment that will make you money, and you know when you look at the crowded field of headshot photographers in your area and you want to try to separate yourself from them and maybe you just pull that extra 1% to 2% of quality out of it, that I think is a time in which you could finance something for 12, 18, 24 months because right around the holidays, the the cards, they'll give you insane long-term financing. And of course, if you have a shitty month and you don't book those headshot sessions, you have that safety net of 12 to 18 to 24 months. You don't have to pay $500 that month. You could pay, you know, $50 that month or something like that. Yeah. Small, small technicality. If you're already running like a business, you're already running an LLC, put it through a business card, you know, take make it it very easy to organize your taxes and write-offs. Don't buy it personally and don't finance it personally. Get a business credit card. Just go through it and make it easy on yourself. Absolutely. But as people are, are transitioning uh, from personal, you know, when they're going from a sole proprietorship to an LLC or whatever, S corporation, all that, there's always that gray area time where you are putting things on personal and you're transitioning to uh, corporate. I have a corporate card now. It says Kevin Deal Photography on it and, you know, from QuickBooks and all that. But, you know, I could just, I could, if you are making an investment like on a new camera body or something like that, and it's going to be a five year investment. And lenses, of course, can go 20 to 30 years. And so, you know, you're financing something for a year or two, you're paying it off in three months. If you actually know that's going to happen that way, I say take that risk because I think the risk is low. But, if, you, if you're just going off hope, you have no business lined up, you're just starting from square one, you you, you don't know your head from your ass, eh, you know, you, you're working a nine to five job, but you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's probably a, a poor time to make that investment. You may just want to get something on the more budget side and really rely on your talents as a photographer to empower you through. And you're just gonna have to grind it out a little harder. And, you know, I've been there, Brandon's been there. Uh, but when you get to that point, where it's like, okay, I'm ready to make that investment in that beautiful piece of gear. That yeah, that's the one scenario in which I think I could justify uh, doing financing. Remember, you can squeeze a lot of business out of really like in inexpensive items. You don't like that's the thing is. Kevin talked about when can you justify a three thousand dollar lens, and I was thinking to myself like, I don't. I can't see a time when I can justify a $3,000 lens unless I was doing headshot sessions for $3,000 a pop. Like unless I was a celebrity headshot person, of course I can't tell the future, but 
a $3,000 lens is, you know, Kevin's absolutely right. It's going to give one to 2% quality increase. But if you're a headshot photographer, you're, you're going to be compressing the hell out of your photo and wherever it's going to be uploaded is going to be compressed a second time after being framed down to about 1080 pixels on the long end. And so what you're, what you're going to be squeezing out of that, like, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it, is it worth the squeeze? You know, is it worth the squeeze of the fruit? So you can get a really inexpensive setup. You could, you could use a Canon Rebel T3i and a prime 85 millimeter lens. And with the right lighting setup and enough light, you can take headshots and probably get away with charging like 500 to to $1,000 a setup or per session, depending on your business skills. Yeah, another question you have to ask yourself is, is it preventing you from taking that next step in your career? So, and I'm talking about objectively, not lust. So I'll use an example of something that I keep avoiding purchasing. I want it, but I keep talking myself out of it. And that is a 70 to 200 f2.8. It's a very common lens for events. And I actually uh, have a college that hires me to shoot two graduations per year. And they pay me pretty decently for it. And, you know, I've already could have paid for a 70 to 200 a couple times over with the amount of times that they've hired me. But I keep avoiding purchasing it because it really is truly a want at this point. It's not a need. And at these college uh, graduations, I use a 28 to 70 F2 on one camera body and I use an, a 135 1.8 on another camera body. Uh, yeah, I could just put a 70 to 200 on there, but I don't have anything between 28 and 70 at that point. It's very much a telephoto. And I find that for telephoto at this particular college graduation, the 135 is perfect. It, it's the right length and all that. And so I have overcome this obstacle by just trying harder and being smarter. It's like, well, I have two camera bodies. I have two Canon camera bodies. So I'll just take them to the session and I'm good. And so that has, uh, kept me from purchasing this lens. It's like $2,800. I do want one eventually because, you know, it could help with weddings. Like I have a lot of justification for it, but I also keep finding ways to overcome having to use it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I wanted to make another point. Basically, this is something that Kevin and I are are pretty good at in our own way. And that is just making it work with what you have. It's very easy to get locked into the zone where you think that, oh, you're not going to be able to do a certain thing until you get, you know, until you shave three f-stops off of your lens. And it's like, the fact of the matter is, if you have studio lighting, you've got plenty of lighting and, you know, like you, you've pretty much got what you need to make it. You know, like if you can't afford gels, like go to Michael's and and use like construction paper and bounce off the red or something like that. Like, like what I'm saying is like, you can make it work. Whatever you're trying to do, you can definitely make it work. Unless of course, getting really nice spherical bokeh is your entire destiny and your goal. You can pretty much make anything work with a little bit of thought, with a little bit of elbow grease, a little bit of goodwill and a little bit of eBay, you know, uh, a lot of these problems are more about upgrading and optimizing um, as opposed to and making your life easier as opposed to actually making it possible. Everything should be possible at pretty much bottom of the barrel affordable range. 100%. 100%. Are there any last subjects you want to talk about with this or do you want to put the subject to bed? Yeah. And one last thing is, you know, a, a lot of this comes down to you know, Kevin and I, like 
our professional take on things. If you're a hobbyist and you can afford it, you know, obviously it comes down to like your finances, like how much can you swing, you know, and how much is justifiable in your own world. But like when it comes to taking a good picture, that's where Kevin and I are coming from. It's not about like, you know, oh, don't spend money on stuff that you can afford and would, you know, would truly, you know, make you happier. Um, it's really just don't be an idiot with your money. If you if you have goals in photography and those goals are somewhat business related or art related and, you know, uh, you think a lens and a camera body is going to change your life. It's not. It's really not. It's going to just make your quality a little bit better. And that's that's kind of it. As we talk about purchasing things wisely, I want to talk to you about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is Black Friday. It's an American tradition. We call it Black Friday because it's the time of year when retailers take their profits from the red, meaning a loss, to black, which means a positive. It's, it was traditionally a time when retailers could write their ship. And as someone who spent almost a decade working in retail, I have some thoughts. First, let's talk about the psychology of a sale. People will go out and impulse buy things based on how much uh, they think they are saving on it. If I manufacture something and I need to sell it to you for $100, I simply try to sell it to you for $100. You may or may not think it's worth it. But if I show you that it uh, used to sell for $150 and I put a slash through it and I make it $100, uh, you know, all of a sudden you go, oh, I'm going to buy it because it's a it's $100 instead of $150. But I still ended up getting that $100 I set out to get. And that is like the psychology of that sale. So now you come home to your spouse, your significant other. And of course they give that deep, long sigh when you go, well, it was $150, but now it's $100. It's just a tactic that they use to make you buy things. Okay. It, it, it was it truly on sale. Think about that. But what does it actually mean? How do you actually quantify that? Retailers on Black Friday are like casinos in Las Vegas. The house always wins. Just keep that in mind when you see that double-digit interest rate getting higher and higher on your credit card. I sincerely hope all of you who celebrate Thanksgiving, or as the rest of the world calls it, Thursday, have a wonderful holiday. And if there's one piece of advice I can give you when you meet up with your family who has polar opposite political views that you do, is that you don't always need to take a position on everything. It's okay to say, I don't have a position on that. And then go right back to your turkey coma while watching the Lions and the Cowboys on television. That does it for today's episode. We thank each and every one of you for listening. Uh, we hope each and every one of you learned something today. Uh, hopefully you can take some of these lessons to heart. These, are, of course, are from our personal experience. We are not uh, experts on the subject. We just buy a lot of fucking gear. So f11pod.com is where you can find us. You can use the, the handle f11pod on Instagram and Twitter and all those other uh, social media places. But until next time, kids, chase light and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.